Well, friends, welcome back to the podcast. It is a great joy for us to have conversations that we bring to you on anything about the intersection of the spiritual and the practical, about how you can live and lead right side up in an upside down world. Friends, it is a challenge to lead well today. At Stay Forth, we call our coaches and even our experienced curators mountain guides for the leadership journey. Many leaders have invited us into this journey. We love coming alongside and coaching leaders in their leadership to be able to clarify what is overwhelming, what is hard, what is challenging, where do you feel stuck, and how do you go to the next level in your leadership? We want to be on the journey with you. We also love going away and hosting experiences where you can get out of your email inbox, get out of the challenges, the whirlwind, the expectations that you feel each day. Whether you are a stay-at-home dad, a CEO, a music artist, a collaborator of beautiful transformation in the world, a nonprofit leader, you name it. If you have influence, we want to come alongside of you in your journey to be a kingdom leader that lives and leads out of your unique design. Friends, it's a great privilege to have these conversations with you. We don't take these lightly. We'll continue to drop these episodes each Tuesday and Thursday. And now, on to the podcast. Clay, welcome to the podcast, my man. Yeah, glad to be on. Alan, what's up? Man, fellow student of leadership, um, I know this is going to be a good conversation. You got a bunch of kids. You've had a bunch of experiences in leadership. Give us kind of an overview, just a a quick uh, couple of snippets of some of the leadership experiences that you've had over the last couple of decades. Yeah, sure. Be glad to. Um, First of all, thanks for having me on, Alan. I know it's a uh, you're, you're shining, you're taking your spotlight and giving me a little piece of it, which I really appreciate. Um, I grew up in Alabama, Tuscaloosa. They play football there. Uh, my family are big crimson tide football fans Oof. moved to Atlanta to go to college, uh, studied engineering at Georgia tech was terrible at it. Uh, was determined to finish it, but was just not, it was not for me. Um, told the school, told the registrar one day, if you will give me this degree, I promise you I will never use it. And <laughs> so it was like the little trade that we made. Um, <laughs> and I have made good on that promise. I went to Dallas, Texas to go to seminary, met my wife out there, which is awesome. She's a Texas A&M Aggie. And she was uh, in her first year of seminary. I was in my last year of seminary. We were both studying theology and uh, we ended up falling in love and getting married. And then we moved to Atlanta. Uh, I was, I kind of was, um, I mean, in a way I felt like I was sent out to go get trained at Dallas seminary so that I could come back and work at the church that I had been really plugged in with in college. So, um, that church is called North point community church. Andy Stanley started it with a number of other awesome, wonderful leaders. And, uh, I worked in student ministry for about five years and then became a campus pastor uh, and spent 10 years as uh, a campus pastor at three different campuses. So one of them is kind of, uh, out in the su- way out in the suburbs in the North Georgia, the foothills of the North Georgia mountains, real similar to those mountains you have in Colorado. Pretty, um, much, the same. <laughs> pretty much the same. And then, uh, went and served at North point, the original campus in Alpharetta as the campus pastor there. And then the last, my last two years I spent working at Buckhead church which is in the city of Atlanta, kind of in the heart of it all. 
in Atlanta, which has been a great experience. So that's where we live now. Uh, and then I resigned from my job about six months ago and I've been, uh, you know, uh, so I, I hung out my own shingle, you know, kind of, kind of taking and following in your footsteps, doing my own thing now. It's real. That's a whole nother podcast in terms of, uh, things we would recommend and not recommend. I'd be glad to share on the, on the ladder there. Um, well, yeah, kind of the last season of, of leadership, maybe the last decade, uh, are there a couple of lessons that just rise to the top that you learned as a leader in hard roles in the trenches? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, my favorite message to talk about that I've learned over the last 10 years, I would say about five years ago, Louis Giglio, who's a pastor in the Atlanta area, runs a church called Passion City Church, a big movement called Passion Conference that they do for college students. Louis invited me to come speak at their staff meeting and gave me this assignment. He said, I want you to come. This was right before they were about to go multi-site. And he said, hey, I just want you to come and talk about what are you learning as a campus pastor? And the first phrase that popped into my mind was, well, I'm learning what it's like to lead even when I'm not in charge. So I um, have spent a lot of time talking about that topic, which is, you know, another term people use as second chair leadership. But the idea of learning that um, leadership really isn't about authority. It's not about being in charge. Uh, it's about leveraging the responsibility and authority that you have been given to cultivate influence. And influence is way more powerful than authority anyway. So I ended up writing a book on that in 2017 called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, which is probably, um, I mean, it has been just an absolute blessing and um, a really fun journey to get to carry that message and get to share that message with a lot of younger leaders. Um, not younger leaders even, I would say, but leaders that aren't the senior leader, um, which as it turns out, Alan, you know, 99% of people, most people aren't fully in charge. Right, exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And there's, there's yeah. so much written to, you know, the specific point leader at the top, whoever that may be, yeah. whatever kind of organization, you know, Tyler Reagan and others um, begin to talk about leading things that we didn't start leading things that we're not in charge of. Mm-hmm. I love that we're talking about and sort of shining a light on these areas that people are asking me every single week as a leadership coach, that's where the rubber meets the road, where spiritual meets mm-hmm. practical. This sounds good. What do I actually do when right. yeah, I feel handcuffed by this? So love that um, guys pick up a copy of that book. And today we want to kind of delve into um, your brand new book. Congrats on your new book, baby. The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future, Nine Surprising Ways Leadership is Changing. Man, how was the book? How was the process of um, getting this book baby out into the world? Well, I don't love writing and I'm still trying. I I went and met with a writing coach back in 2016 when I knew I wanted to turn that How to Leave Your Not in Charge concept into a book. And he was fantastic. This guy's done a bunch of ghostwriting for uh, some bigger leadership kind of authors and is just, has been a part of our church for a long time. And um, he said, hey, I, I said, hey, I really need a coach to help me figure out how to write this. And he said, I'm less interested in helping you figure out how to write this book. I'm more interested in helping you figure out how to learn how to love writing. And uh, <laughs> oh, that is a journey because I'm still learning. I have not gotten there yet. Um, 
I, this year, actually, I listened to Rob Bell has a little resource called something to write. Hmm. It's a little $20 audio download that I mean, I've sent it to probably 10 different people who I know are interested in writing or in the middle of writing. And it's been so helpful. One of the things he starts off talking about, and, and then Jerry Seinfeld also talks about this on um, the t- an interview he did with Tim Ferriss. But if you're going to try to write, it is a beast. I mean, it is hard work. And Seinfeld does a really good job of talking about um, just letting yourself flow and not editing yourself. He, he yeah. said you need to you know, um, show yourself essentially saying, show yourself a ton of grace when you're just getting it all out and then come back and be like the ultimate critic when you're rereading it. And too often we get those mixed up, you know, every word, every sentence, we're like criticizing and being like, well, that's not the right word. And that doesn't make sense. And could I say it a different way? And, um, I think learning that flow, learning that, that rhythm of like letting it all go and then coming back and being critical Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe even the next day. That's good. That's been probably something I'm trying to learn that I still haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Two distinct phases of the flow and getting it out and then later refining. Um, I'm no Rob Bell or Jerry Seinfeld when it comes to communication, but I've written four books and probably had a hundred people ask me, so uh, I want to write a book, right? Every party, everyone's like, I want to do a book. Mm -hmm. How'd you do it? You know, like Mm -hmm. blood, sweat, tears. And there actually is a process and I call it the first of four. What do you? So, okay. Yeah, there's four laps. I won't dig into it here. Maybe sometime. Well, can you share them? Because I want to hear it real quick. Yeah. Um, so there's two ways to describe it. Some people connect with the four laps piece of it. Some people connect with 30,000. That's probably the easier one to understand. Blue skies. Okay. And just we're heading in the right destination or, or in the right direction toward the destination. Just go. I'm not worried about that. But obviously, it gets more technical as you get lower, right? You get down to mm-hmm. 10,000, you get down to some hundreds, you start to lock into um, the actual runway. And then, okay, it's the technical land. What does that look like? What I've seen is that most people run out of gas and forget that there's actually like once the things in the world, you got to talk about that, which my friend who opens a hotel or opens a restaurant, the same thing is true. He's exhausted. Everyone else is seeing it for the first time. That's when you got all the podcast interviews. That's when you got all the mm-hmm. time to actually talk about the thing that you deeply love when you've kind of moved on from it, honestly, because you've been in it every day for the last 12 or 18 mm-hmm. months. So it's it's a really complex and ironic world. The first one is essentially the kind of the blue skies, that first lap, just get it out. It's a brain dump. Anything you know on the topic, if you want to write 45,000, just get 60,000 out. Uh, and then it becomes increasingly more technical. But at some point, you got to edit yourself. Other people have to edit you, and then a team of people come together to actually figure out what's the best way to launch this into the world. we got to bring this thing for a landing. And as you know about track stars, some people that start out really, really well in that blue sky mm-hmm. phase just peter out and go too fast. So um, I think at some point... That's excellent. Yeah, we are our worst critics. But anyway, side conversation on that. Um, talking about the future, which is a great and yeah. hard time to be talking about the future. Um, yeah. What's the biggest shift you believe leaders need to make right now, Clay? Well, I the book, uh, the subtitle of the book is Nine Surprising Ways Leadership is Changing. So, you know, the, the flow of every chapter was I kind of took a um, current or past uh, leadership concept idea 
uh, way that it works concept, and then tried to turn it upside down, tried to say, hey, look, this was the way of the past because of what's happening in the future or because of even what's happening now. The future leader has got to see it different, has got to respond differently. And so it's not a new kind of leader versus an old kind of leader. I really believe it's a um, really good leader. And in the future, I think we're moving to, we all have an opportunity to be, be a really great leader. So um, I wrote nine of them. I've got nine surprising ways that leadership is changing. So, you know, picking your favorite one is about like saying, Alan, which of your four kids is your favorite child? You know, which you, you have one, but I don't know you're supposed to say it. Or I would imagine reading through anything of nine or eight or seven things, there's going to be one that probably... yeah you need to give appropriate, not equal attention to all, but appropriate, kind of like our kids, that there are seasons we need to focus more on one than the other. So I'm excited to pick it up and kind of dig into that. Yeah. You talk about ways that we can retain employees. So I definitely want to dig in on this. But first of all, why are employees leaving? Well, they're leaving for leaving for a number of reasons. I mean, number one, they have sat around and had all those existential questions that they never really had time to answer. They finally started asking over the last two years. Um, I think also though, the, the desire for what employees want is changing. Um, employees want flexibility even more than a pat on the back or a promotion or a pay raise. They want the flexibility to be able to work when they want to work and work how they want to work and work where they want to work. And I think that uh, I, it's, it's, it's like a power shift, which is really interesting. Like the, the power shift that's moving from the company or the employer or the organization to the employee. And I, I mean, I'm here for it. Like, I like, I think it's a healthy thing. I think it's given people the opportunity to tell their bosses or to request to their boss or to ask their, Hey, this is kind of the way I've always wanted it to be, but now uh, I've never been able to say it. And this is kind of what I'm looking for. So I think that's one of the reasons I think people are looking for, uh, you know, usually people are looking for one of three things in their job. They're looking for, uh, they want to work on what they're really good at working on. So they want to work on their craft. They want to work on in a great, um, with, have a great community. They want people that they love, or they want to work on something that really matters to them, a cause that really makes a difference in the world. And so depending on which of those three, whichever way you're wired, I think people are leaving for one of those three reasons too, because they're working for a place that doesn't have a great cause or hasn't figured out how their, what they do fits in the bigger scheme of how to make the world a better place. Yeah. Uh, or they don't love the people that they work with because of the culture that they're in, or because they're just not allowed to work on the thing that they really feel like they're best at working on. So um, that's a longer answer to a really important question that I think every employer ought to be asking right now is mm. why are people leaving? And the best way to ask that question, I think, is to ask the people that are staying, why are you staying? And I think in asking that, it can help you answer the first question. Mm, that's good. Talk about vulnerability for a minute. What's shifting in vulnerability, both culturally and I think inside of organizations as well? Well, I, yeah, you you asked that great question, which which I was playfully not answering about which one is my favorite. But I would say, you know, if you were to, my hope is if you were to read this book, you would catch a couple big themes, and one of them is this realization that it is impossible to know everything. And I think there was a day where you could really be a master, you could be really excellent at something, you could have all the knowledge on something, but because of the rate of change in the world 
because of how much is changing, because of how much information is just absolutely exploding. Um, we're all in that. Uh, what, what are they calling in the gaming world? You know, you're a noob, right? You know, if you're like a new player, um, we're kind of all going to be stuck in that noob state. I mean, you, you know, you take like a piece of software that you haven't used in a couple of months and you open it up to use it and you're like, whoa, 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 what like this has changed? Like, where did my menu go? You know, like, where's the button that I always use? Because the updates are constantly having, I mean, chances are there is a platform or a system or technology that is going to be used that is going to change the world in the next year that is not even in our lives right now. And learning how to be willing to say, I don't know, learning how to be willing to lead with our weaknesses, learning how to be okay with, I'm not an expert on this, but it doesn't mean that I can't start leading in this way. Um, I just think it's key for any leader to be able to do that. And and one of the words for that would be vulnerability. And people are longing for that right now. And you ask, what kind of leader do you want to serve under? And probably what kind of leader would you hate to serve under? People want humility right now, vulnerability right now to say, I don't know. I'm hearing a lot about reverse mentoring right now as well to say Mm, 52 year old to a 25 year old. I don't know why we would ever use TikTok for anything. Talk to me about this. Could this actually help what we're doing? Is this just entertainment? And and so I, I just think that's the kind of culture that people want. I think people are leaving a lot of bad cultures um, right now. And I think retention is telling on people that already had good cultures. People are coming back to work at cultures when they didn't have to, and they were no longer incentivized to stay at home because they loved it. There was something beautiful there. And man, it's, it's amazing how quick and devastating for some, how quick that's happened, right? The local restaurant can't find enough people to work. Um, and the people who are working feel beat down in the meantime. Uh, so much here, man. We need to talk for hours in the Alan, future about this stuff. Yes. Well, quick question to you. I'm wondering if you've noticed this option, if you've seen this as well. Um, yes, I've talked to people who, I mean, you interact with more organizations and leaders than I do. But I've noticed that the ones that seem to have a really great culture, they are retaining their employees. And they're not experiencing the labor shortage like others are. And then obviously the ones where they have some room to grow in their culture, they're experiencing it in a more pronounced manner. But are you talking to some organizations that are like, hey, our people are staying? Yeah, 100 percent. When people people are coming back for meaning and when you give like you're talking about, you give people a chance to change the world in the way that they're uniquely designed to do it. um, People have a grace factor. And when you don't, people have less grace, right? They're just returning for work. So obviously there's things like flexibility, that power shift, but there's a whole lot of people out there on LinkedIn looking for opportunities. And um, it's just interesting to me to pay attention to the ones saying, man, our people came back to work, have actually gone above and beyond. Uh, I'm talking about local Mm -hmm. restaurants. I'm not talking about companies with yoga ball, you know, free beer in the break room. I'm talking about like (laughs) not seen as the greatest of environments to work in. Yeah. uh, that, that aren't trying to pull any punches there. So I, it's, I think it's a fascinating time to, to be a student of leadership. Uh, conflict. There's an unbelievable amount of conflict right now. What are you learning yeah. about conflict? And what do you write about conflict uh, in the book? Well, I would just start about, I would start by saying with conflict, um, if you are not growing 
in your ability to have difficult conversations, uh, you're missing a great opportunity to do that. Because <laughs> I would say there yes. are more difficult conversations being had today than I've ever been had before. I mean, you think about it work, you know, I would have guessed with your parents, my parents, like that generation, you know, you, the, there were things that you didn't talk about at the dinner table. You know, you didn't talk about, you know, religion and you didn't talk about, you know, whatever else the topics would be. But um, that was kind of the same mantra for the workplace that, Hey, we're here to get a job done. And we're not going to talk about that stuff. Some of those more uh, interesting or challenging social issues. Today, you can't avoid having those conversations at work. I mean, you're having conversations around sexuality, around gender orientation, around racial tension in the world, um, around women in the workplace and women opportunities for women to lead. I mean, you're just having, you're almost forced to have some really intense, complicated but incredibly important conversations on a somewhat regular basis. And so I think one thing that all of us can learn about conflict is that it never gets easy. It's not going away and it's never going to be perfect. It's always going to be messy, but there is a way that we can plan for it. And that's one of the things I try to do in this chapter on conflict is try to just give people a plan. Hey, if you can go into it, if you can put a little work ahead of time to prepare and then if you can affirm what's true about the other person, ask some really important questions, acknowledge what you've heard, then you can advise on whatever it is that the conflict is about. But if you go the other way, which most people do, you know, they rip off the text, you know, hey, you need to get this straight and how dare you and you better not, whatever. If you advise, you're going to end up acknowledging that you were wrong, asking for forgiveness and affirming that you still want to work there. So there is an order to go through that I think is just healthier than others. And you can actually prepare for that. You don't have to just wing it. You can actually be ready when the time comes. So true. And it's interesting because we, we train coaches at stay forth and I believe those are the coach like mentality who already yes. had the skills of coaching are thriving now because we, I don't believe I have the answers. If you're in a coaching session, I'm actually seeing those who were already prepped. Now it's never too late to learn. We can learn quickly. But man, those who are already prepared to navigate, you know, the flexibility and, and how slippery our world can be, um, I see, you know, sort of already prepared with the posture of that more than the skills of that. This is really, really interesting. If you're listening to this and haven't Alan, faced conflict, you're well, not leading, question. period. Did you, in regard to coaching, sorry, this is an engaged interruption. Did you do a certification with one of the organizations that does that? No, it's, it's so funny. I had some coaches. There's a difference between training and certification. Everybody needs experience, which I would say is hundreds, eventually thousands of hours in the trenches asking questions. Um, I see an inverse relationship between how experienced somebody is and how Mm -hmm. uh, many certifications they have. So I see a lot of people who have spent four, eight, 10, 20 grand, 50 grand on um, these certifications up front um, and have zero hours or don't even know if they like coaching. I encourage people get in there, get some, have some free coaching clients, learn the craft of it, the trade of it. Do you even like it? I wouldn't spend 20 Mm -hmm. grand on a business. I didn't even know if I wanted to lead yet. So Mm why would a coaching business be any different? So it's so interesting. I get that question only once in a while, zero people have ever um, asked for it up front or turned me down because I didn't have it. There may be a day when it's worth it to, to do that. I'm not yeah. poo-pooing on yeah. that, but 
what is way more important, it's kind of like the difference between school and education. We desperately need to be educated and to grow and learn. We may need school along the way, depending on the profession. Mm. And I would say <laughs> the same good. with coaching good. in that, uh, the growth piece, the experience piece. Uh, you can look into somebody's eyes and see they're tracking and they're even excited for that complexity. I get excited for the complexity because if you can take the clarity up, the overwhelm can go down and then the courage can go up with that clarity along the way. So, man, you're living the good life right now. We got Superman is in the background. You got a bunch of kids running around. That's just the life right there, man, right in the this midst is, of it. Yeah, that's right. We are we're just so for those listeners that, that are still tracking our four year old just walked in. Just hang, yes. you know, He's I, just love hanging. It. I, love I, it. I would say that that skill you talk about, though, with coaching that I feel like the best coaches have, which is asking the right question to be able to draw the answer out of yes. the person. Yes. Um, I told my coach, quick interlude here. Um, I, I, I'm, I, the coach I met with during my process of leaving my previous job was incredibly helpful. And at one point he said, Hey, why is quitting the worst thing in the world to you? And I said, quitting's not the worst thing in the world to me. It is to my dad. Mm. And he was like, Ooh, let's double click on that for a second. Right. And so he did. And so he asked the question, which I thought was a really important and helpful question. He said, well, you know, he said, tell me about your dad's career. And I said, well, he worked in the same job for 40 years. And he said, well, did he love his job? And I was like, well, he loved it, I think, for a little while, but then eventually he didn't. And he said, all right, take me back to the moment where things started shifting for your dad. He loved her for a while. When things started to shift, where he didn't love it as much, what would you have told your dad in that season? Yeah. That question was the question that mm. helped me more in my career than anything else. Because what I started telling my dad, in a sense, was essentially what I needed to be telling myself, right? And it was, um, I don't know, you, you, you coaches, you have this masterful way of drawing out what's really true for each person. And what about, what about the question, what would you tell you? If you were a close friend who was completely for you right now, what would you tell you? And you always get a different answer, that sort of out-of-body experience. Um, and you mentioned the right question, but don't forget the right timing. Because if, if mm. your coach is asking you a question that you're not actually deeply asking or ready to feel. That's really good. I felt That's like really the good. Lord um, spoke to me maybe in the last month to turn up the intensity on truth in this season. And, and I don't know mm. if it's related to the holidays. People are ready to handle it. I had a lot of coaching clients now for a while. And I just felt like that last 10% I need to give. And the intensity of the questions went up and I'm telling you it's produced intimacy, not conflict with those. And so I don't really know fully what to make of that. It's interesting that you say that because the win matters to me a lot when you're not building rapport anymore. You're like, let's go. Muscles are stretched. It is time. I love that. Heavy together, man. Another conversation for another day. So much good stuff here. Can't wait to grab a meal with you at some point. Talk about this, this last piece, giving trust, to be trusted. This would go against what a lot of leaders would say. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we saw it immediately. We, we, there was like an immediate, uh, level check on how much trust was in every relationship. As soon as the pandemic happened and people are moving home and working from home and you know, the, the, the manager that had created or the, the leader, the boss, whatever that had created a, their career, had built their career on learning how to build culture in person, learning how to walk down the hallway and look over somebody's shoulder to see what they're doing, poke their head in somebody's office to see how things were going. All of a sudden, everything changed. And now you had to determine, or you, you, you were able to see 
in real life form almost how much trust was in the relationship. And obviously we're not going back. We're moving forward. So the world is going to be different. The future is going to be different. And so just that simple example of hybrid workplace of giving people the freedom to be able to work from where they want to work, when they want to work. I think it requires us to walk into a relationship willing to give trust as opposed to waiting for someone to uh, earn trust, waiting for someone to develop the kind of trust. And, you know, the, the, the best way to figure out if someone can be trusted is to trust them. Parents so I really teenagers do 101 the way, right there. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you start with giving some rope, you know, and as they make great decisions and handle what they're responsible to handle as they handle it well, you give them more rope. And as they make decisions that, um, that, 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 uh, are, are withdrawal of trust, you know, you shorten that rope. But I think the same thing is true in leadership. The same thing is true in management. The same thing is true as we look forward to seeing what kind of leader the future is going to demand. We have to be willing to give trust. Uh, and it goes both ways. I mean, we, as an employee, we've got to be willing to trust our employer. We have to be willing to trust the people that we work with, but also the employer has got to be willing to trust the employees if we're going to become the kind of leader the future is demanding. Man, so good. Last question for you. If you could wave a magic wand over a whole crowd of leaders, what would you hope it changed in their life? I think that the realization that we're looking for authentic, real uh, human leaders rather than perfect leaders. I think that's what I've been striving for. That's the kind of environment that I want to create, the kind of relationship that I want to create. I mean, that's, I'm looking, I'm not looking for perfect kids. You know, you got four kids I got five kids. We've got, you know, we're basically Mormon at this point or Catholic. Um, But we, you know, that's what I want in our kids. I I don't want them to feel this pressure to be perfect, but I I hope that they feel the freedom to be real, to be fully human. Um, Angela Arantz was the CEO of Burberry and then became the senior VP of retail at Apple. Uh, She told me this great story about this little, she was trying to unify the 70,000 retail employees at Apple, which I'm like, good grief. That's a problem that would be difficult to solve. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so she said, you know, so I started sending out these videos, three, uh, three points in three minutes every Monday morning. And I was like, oh, that's clever. That's nice. And she said, you know, um, the maybe second or third, fourth one I did, uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of shooting it and little, little film crew in my office and my phone rings. And it's my daughter, who's a college student in London. And I answer it and say, hey, I'm in the middle of this video. Let me just um, let me finish it up real quick. And then I'll call you right back. Love you. Bye. Hangs up the phone. Uh, finishes the three points in three minutes, finishes the recording session, tells the camera people, hey, keep the phone call in it. Uh, they were like, you know, I'm sure they're like, mm, that's going to be weird. She says, no, 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 keep it in it. I want to send it out just like that. So she does. She said the next morning I wake up with hundreds of emails from Apple retail employees who said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for showing us that you're a real person. Thank mm-hmm. you for showing us that you are balancing the demands of being a mom and being a wife and being a friend and being a person with trying to be a great employee as well. And I think that's what we're looking for. It's what we're looking for in our leaders, but it's ultimately what I think God wants us to develop into as well as, as real humans that are not striving for perfection, but are striving for um, that the most genuine version of myself that I can find. I Mm. think that's the hope for all of us. 
That's good. I love that. And you've lived that out well with a couple year old Superman coming in the background. You got kids in the background. I don't <laughs> let me be a real human here. I'm hungry. It's time for some Cuban food. So we really better finish up this interview. Clay loved <laughs> hanging with Why you. Cuban? Why Cuban? Uh, that's just what's on the docket today. I like to I disorient it. myself a little bit with different food choices than the standard Chipotle. Um, man, great it. chatting. Let's have you back on the podcast. I sense we could spend yeah, love it. an episode or invest an episode into any of these topics. Congrats on gutting out your next book. It might not have been pretty, but you got her done. The Aspiring <laughs> Leader's Guide to the Future, Nine Surprising Ways leadership is changing and yes it is changing for sure thanks for what you do man keep up the great work yep all right take care